0: Hello, welcome back to the Applied Ballistics Podcast. I'm Amanda Wheeler, and I'm being joined again with uh, with Winky and uh, Mitch. We're going to continue last week's discussion um, and move into custom drag models and then delve into uh, personal drag models and what all of that means for shooters. Uh, thanks for getting back on with me tonight, guys.
1: Yeah, not a problem. No problems
2: at all, Manner. It's good to be back.
0: So um, I've been doing, um, again, some studying (laughs) um, and reading all. There's a ton of articles you can find online about CDMs, and um, now there's starting to be more articles about PDMs and what all of that means for shooters. Um, So a custom drag model that is different from what you find – on your box of ammo, correct?
1: Yeah, it is. Yep. So on your box, you're typically going to have just the BCs, which we discussed last time. And uh, like we kind of mentioned before, you know, the, the custom drag model is uh, where we take that a step further within the applied ballistics solver.
0: Okay. So this, a custom drag model, applied ballistics does this testing, and that's part of what is our bullet library. Yep.
1: Yeah. So when whenever you're using a, a device that has A, B in it or our mobile app uh, and you're selecting a bullet out of the bullet library, it will give you the option to use either a G1 or G7 BC um, or use a custom drag model or in the case of the app, uh, purchase a drag model and uh, a custom drag model that is. and uh, Yeah, so it's it's right in the bullet database with the with the bcs that can be pulled down into uh uh, pretty much any of our devices or any of the devices that have ab in them
2: the uh the great thing about that too amanda is um you know when it comes to ballistic solvers and trajectory prediction uh getting correct data you know good inputs is three quarters of the battle right like um So when we talk about you know, the data that the AB laboratory is um, collecting and providing via the uh, AB Connect or the uh, Bullet Library, essentially as as we know it, you know, like I've kind of discussed that in the last episode as well. Like all of those um, all of those inputs that you're utilising to generate a gun profile, they're all being captured and uh, measured in a laboratory. Um, you know, when it comes to custom drag models as well, that's, that's been, uh, captured or that's been measured by Doppler radar. So, I mean, it, in terms of, um, stringent or correct, uh, inputs, it doesn't get much better than that. And, uh, so I guess the crossover on that as well is, you know, if without solid inputs into, uh, your your solver you're not going to get any um solid or accurate outputs you know the whole guy go garbage in garbage out things so.
0: so okay so so we get our our you get your you have your your kestrel or your garmin um or even your applied ballistics app you put in all your um all your data and it you pick your bullet and it tells you what
2: so as you're picking your bullet, it'll give you the option to um, select the, a ballistic coefficient or a custom drag model. Uh, now, last week, we discussed ballistic coefficients and what that meant for G1 versus G7 standards, um, the differences in bullet anatomy when it comes to those G standards, right? And realistically, what, what the solver is doing if you're referencing a ballistic coefficient versus if you're using a custom drag model. And um, we kind of discussed it uh, a little bit in the, the previous episode, but I know, like, for listeners to really get into what this means and um, what the solver is doing in the background, the first thing I'll say is, like, when you reference a custom drag model from the AB Bullet library, there's a misperception or a, a misunderstanding against, a, a, across some shooters that. The solver is referencing like a number of BCs and that's that's not correct at all. Um, the solver is no longer referencing any kind of ballistic coefficient downrange. it's referencing um, a, the, the custom drag model of that bullet, which is exactly that. It's a custom drag model of the individual bullet that you're shooting. It's not comparing the individual bullet drag. Um, of your individual bullet to a a G standard.
0: Okay, so I'm curious about, so we're at the Applied Ballistics Lab and we're uh, doing testing so we can put these um, custom drag models in the bullet library for shooters. What happens if... um, the the gun I'm shooting is a seven twist and the gun that the lab used is a nine twist. Does that make a difference in all of this? Yeah,
1: it can make a little bit of a difference, um, especially, you know, it more depends on what bullet we're talking about along with those twist rates, because um, if the bullet is fully stabilized in the nine twist already, and when I say fully, I mean like, adequately well above, um, 1.5, you know, probably in the, the two SG range. Um, but as long as we're, you know, we're solidly above 1.5 SG, then it should be, should be pretty much the same between the, the one and nine and the one and seven. Now, if you're, uh, like if for, I guess for your example, then most of the time it would be pretty close. Um, and I, I use that term, pretty strongly in the sense that you're probably not going to be able to tell a difference um, between the, the nine twist and the seven twist because like with your example we tested it in the nine twist that means it's fully stabilized in the nine twist um, and then you're shooting it out of a seven twist so it's it's still fully stable obviously it's even more stable um where where you could run into issues is if you went the opposite way and we tested it in a seven twist because that's where it was fully stabilized. And then you're shooting it in a nine twist and now you're marginally stabilized. Then that's where you're going to see variation. Um, uh, as long as you're using a faster twist than what we shot it in, uh, you're, sh- you're going to be good. Now it's possible there can be some differences, some different rifle to rifle differences. Um, and you may see some difference at transonic if you're using a much faster twist rate but um for the vast majority of shooters out there again as long as you're using an adequate twist rate you're you're not really going to be able to detect the difference okay that
0: makes
1: a, a good
2: point at this uh this point in time amanda to note that the custom drag model right it's uh really going to um shine in terms of trajectory prediction accuracy uh you know like the accuracy of your firing solution it's it's going to come into its own um in that transonic subsonic portion of the flight regime right uh the you know we spoke last week about the g1 versus g7 standards being a little bit um or the g1 versus g7 reference bcs being somewhat forgiving and those uh shorter Um, ranges when it comes to long range shooting in that supersonic portion of the flight regime Um, now there is you know that's going to vary bullet to bullet uh, depending on what individual bullet you're shooting as well and how well that bullet that individual bullet compares to a G7 or a G1 standard and I'll just you know go ahead and uh, nail that down to G7 standard right now because we're talking about long range shooting and you know, majority of listeners are probably shooting a G7 style um, design bullet with this, a similar bullet anatomy to a G7 standard, right? So if you are referencing a G7 BC, that G7 BC is going to have you on target for the most part, um, you know, within the supersonic portion of the flight regime. And it'll it definitely, it should still definitely have you on target in the um the trans and subsonic but when it comes to a, a g7 bc versus a custom drag model that is where you're going to see the vast majority of your uh, your advantages uh, gained being that the custom drag model is modeling the as i was saying the individual drag of the bullet through trans and subsonic and that's where you're going to see the most um discrepancy between the G7 BC prediction versus the uh, individual drag of the bullet or the CDM through trans and subsonic as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. So on that, on that same line of my question about the twist rate, when you start adding other things, um, and I know we can have a whole nother um, podcast talking about muzzle brakes and, and suppressors, um, but if you if I have a certain muzzle brake on my gun um, and the lab tested with, with this one or with none, does that have any impact on on the, the ability for them to be um, the, your custom drag model at the lab the same as what I'm getting out of the range?
1: It's certainly possible, yeah. Um, it Not every muzzle brake or suppressor uh, has an effect like that, but... Uh, you know we've definitely seen some that do so um, yeah typically I mean we're we've become aware of some situations like that and so uh, you know the the testing we do I I, that's pretty safe to avoid that in the sense that or I say we're, we're pretty safe that it's pretty safe that we avoid that in the sense that um, we're not testing with devices that we know muzzle devices that we know are negatively affecting or changing the um the the drag model from what we know is pretty nominal uh, okay. for that bullet. However, again, the inverse of that could happen where you are using a muzzle breaker suppressor that is going to affect the um the drag, and the way it affects the drag is not really changing it for the duration of the flight path. Um, In that example, what's happening is it's it's inducing a launch dynamic, which is changing the drag for the first um, relatively short amount of distance out of the muzzle, but that's enough to affect your drop in your uh, solutions downrange. so it is. It is something that's possible, and uh, obviously, when we get into uh, to PDMs, that's that's another strength of the PDM. Is if you have a muzzle break or a suppressor that you either really like or you want to use for whatever reason, um, you know that that type of issue can be corrected for in the uh, in the PDM.
0: Okay, so that that actually is a good segue then right into. Um... PDMs and what Applied Ballistics is doing uh, for sh- for the shooting community with these personal drag models. Um, so, let if one of you guys can just talk about a personal drag model for a minute, and then we can discuss the the mobile lab and um, what it's doing out and about um, during the shooting season, so that we can help shooters get these personal drag models?
2: Yeah, no worries. Uh, so, I'll uh, start then, and Mitch, you can tack on and add whatever you uh, you feel is necessary. But um, so basically, I'd start by saying, you know, for listeners, if you were considering going in and uh, getting a personal drag model with the AB Mobile Laboratory, um, consider going in uh, with a weapon, your weapon system that know you're you're intending to use for competition or hunting or whatever the shooting objective is but with a relatively uh new barrel on it with you know maybe a few hundred rounds on the barrel is ideal uh with a single bullet lot number is uh ideal ideal as well you know some shooters out there will go ahead they'll barrel. At the end of every competition year, so that their weapon system has a brand new barrel um, for the start of every uh, competition year, going going into the 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 coming or upcoming year. And then they'll also go ahead and buy a um, quantity of the same bullet lot number for the entire year forecast of um, competition shoots that they uh, plan on you know, attending. So uh, there's there's a few points within that um, that I'm outlining here, being that if you um, go ahead and, and get a personal drag model um, with the AB Mobile Lab and you shoot your weapon system over Doppler, that barrel is going to have a large amount of uh, barrel life on it still. It's not going to have uh, a, any kind of real wear um, on the barrel itself. Uh, being a relatively new barrel that's just been broken in um, with a few hundred rounds on it, or something like that, and then also the bullet lot number—that lot of bullets is specific to the uh, the testing that you had uh, achieved over Doppler radar—and so that's going to represent probably the most um, the most specific and accurate. Um, doppler uh measurements you can facilitate with that that newer barrel with that uh bullet lot number that you intend on shooting over the entire year or whatever now that's not to say that you know if you're shooting different bullet lots um that you know your pdms are relevant or anything like that uh it's just that's one way that you can um control any kind of variation in lock to lot consistency with bullets as well. So basically, um, those first few things there, it represents some advice to shooters that, uh, you know, allows them to maximize the use of a PDM. Now, the other thing I would say as well, if you're going to uh, consider going to get a PDM from the ABML, uh, you should also consider, like, do am I going to shoot... Suppressed? Am I going to shoot unsuppressed? Um, You know, as Mitch was kind of saying, we'll lead into a little bit later the initial launch dynamic um, issue that some shooters may experience. You know, um, that's going to be something that's worth considering as well. And um, so I would just uh, put those few things out, those uh, caveats or those considerations to listeners so that they can consider that going in. Um, The other Uh, The other benefit of having the PDM is obviously like uh, that personal drag model is taking into account the individual drag of your individual bullet from an individual lot of bullets that hopefully you have, you know, a thousand or so at home that you're going to utilize for the shooting uh, year and um, through your individual weapon system. And in terms of uh, really hammering or nailing out, uh, or fine-tuning what is trajectory prediction, that represents the most accurate um, drag model that you could possibly have, because it is a drag model that has been generated for your individual weapon system, for your individual bullet, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, in, in terms of uh, a, a closed loop for trajectory prediction accuracy, that that is the, the solution. So um I would I would kind of start the discussion with about PDMs with that. Mitch, do you have anything to lead on from that?
1: Um no, I mean that, that's a, a pretty good good pretty good summary there. Um you know, overall the concept is is pretty simple, right? Because you know, we've gone into depth on the the BCs and we've talked a bit about the CDMs and the PDMs. And, you know, again, the the simple explanation here is that the PDM is just the exact measure to drag for your uh, ammo out of your rifle setup. Um, And, you know, it doesn't get any better than that for what you're shooting. Like that's it just it is what it is. You know, that's that's pretty much as simple as it gets, Um, you know, beyond that, getting the the weeds of, um, you know, kind of the science behind it. Um, you know, even, uh, I mean, I, I guess we we went into that pretty well in the, the BC discussion on what, uh, you know, on what the standards are and what a, a drag model is, um, meaning that these these PDMs are still just uh, drag coefficient versus mock plots um, that are being generated um but no your your uh, description is really good there chris and uh i don't know if if amanda you want we want to jump into some uh, mobile app stuff but
0: yeah well so really quick so what so basically a, a pdm is it's it's a big deal right like that's the best thing you can have it gives yeah. you an advantage um so if there's 10 of us shooting and i'm the only one with with a pdm i have a leg up
1: yeah i mean if you've got all your other ducks in a row um yep. you know it can it can be that last little sliver of an advantage it's
2: uh that's- definitely not gonna hurt you that's for sure it's definitely mm-hmm. always going to remain an advantage <laughs> right um there, now you know it's important to note here that you know we've, we've discussed vcs custom drag models now going into pdms and a CDM is still a very good solution um, in terms of referencing a specific drag model, right? Like what drag model we want to be utilizing. And given uh, if a PDM doesn't exist, or you know you don't have the ability to reference a PDM, you know you haven't quite made it to an AB Mobile Lab event, or um, haven't generated a PDM yet. Uh, whatever the, the the scenario is. A custom drag model represents the um, still a very very good um, solution to trajectory prediction, right? So I just want to outline that to listeners because you know it's it's important to understand that a CDM is still a very very um, good way to to calculate trajectory prediction or calculate firing solutions, right? And it's a very good it's it's almost the best. Uh, representation of the drag model for your individual bullet aside from now the the personal drag models that we're able to offer in conjunction with the AB mobile lab Um, so I think that that's that's an important uh, portion to note as well Um, now it's also likely that some shooters may not see too too much difference in the trajectory prediction accuracy because their individual weapon system with their individual lot of bullets performs very, very similar to the um, custom drag model, uh, you know, that we captured during laboratory testing. Right. Whereas other shooters may see that, that variation, um, you know, maybe they are experiencing some kind of initial launch dynamic, or maybe, um, you know, they, uh, they are, ex- you know, shooting with a faster tw- than generic twist. You know, with an, a gyroscopic stability factor of you know somewhere around two point five or three, right? And in that scenario, that's that's going to be slightly different to, uh, especially through trans and subsonic, uh, where they're taking active steps to try and reduce limit cycle yaw by running that faster. Uh, twist rate right that's where they're going to see some slight difference in the trajectory prediction and a personal drag model is is going to um is going to be able to capture that uh completely um the other thing i would say as well is when it comes to personal drag models you know sometimes um on the training side working with guys right you'll have a uh, fleet of weapon systems that are all exactly the same you know and um all of these weapon systems they have the same twists the same barrel twist the same type of barrel or, or manufacturer you know they're shooting the same ammunition lot number um for all intents and purposes all those weapon systems are exactly the same right and let's say like out of those 10 weapon systems you know nine of them might shoot absolutely the same you know we've gone ahead and um conducted tall target tests, verified the sight scale factor, of the the scopes. Uh, We've also measured the muzzle velocity for each individual weapon system. It's going to vary a little bit, um, but it should be around about the same number roughly. Now, um, out of those 10 weapons systems, you may very well see, and I have seen it in the past, one weapon is just not quite like the others. And so even, you know, with a uh, slightly different muzzle velocity um, and maybe that individual weapon system does have an initial launch dynamic, you know, maybe the suppressor just isn't doing so well on that weapon system or um, maybe the suppressor is full of carbon or something. Anyway, for whatever reason, um, there is a slight discrepancy or a slight difference between that individual weapon and the rest of the fleet and in that scenario that weapon system um, is slightly off in the trajectory prediction or the trajectory prediction is slightly off for that weapon system right assuming everything else is equal being you know you've got a good solid bead on muzzle velocity um, your sight scale factor has been calculated with a tall target test basically like everything else is calibrated you know the system's been verified right And in that scenario, then the shooter is going to go ahead and calibrate his drop scale factor through trans and subsonic. But um, it's important to note that that is that is a possibility, and that is the scenario where shooters will most benefit from a personal drag model.
0: Yeah. So Uh, I I I have one more question here on this. Do we do we see um, is there a benefit? To to having a personal drag model, um, does it does that vary or change or become less um, effective based on the caliber of the gun you're shooting? So is, I it, say- is it just as good with a 22 long range? Like, do I get the same benefit out of shooting my 22 over the mobile lab Doppler radar? as I would if I were shooting my .375 um, enabler.
1: Yeah, because it's it's all about how far you're trying to shoot it relative to, you know, to that rifle or that cartridge's capabilities. Um, okay. This kind of brings back to, a, you know, a point Brian made back when we were first getting into a lot of this ELR stuff. And that is, like, you know, trying to define what ELR shooting is. And you know, a lot of people would say it's you know, it's 1500 yards or it's a mile, this and that. Um, and but I agree with Brian on this. And what, what he said was, uh, um, you know, ELR is when you start shooting into the transonic and subsonic range of what you're trying to shoot because, um, regardless of what that range is, that's where things get a lot harder to um, maintain consistency and predictability. So on your 22 you know, that's probably starting out already subsonic with high quality ammo. So when you're shooting three or 400 yards with a 22, which is really easy for almost all shooters to do because, you know, getting access to ranges that are that far is so much easier. Um, that there's value in having, you know, a PDM for, for that type of shooting, even though you're not shooting very far. Um, so again, to just kind of summarize, it's, it's more about, how far you're pushing what you are shooting than what you are shooting by itself
0: okay great so Um, let's go ahead i'm sorry
1: yeah so you know as we kind of move towards this mobile lab stuff i think uh an important thing that should be you know i don't know discussed is the right word but at least mentioned or talked about a little bit is kind of some historical context um, for what we're really talking about with PDMS, because as Chris was, you know, describing some stuff and talking about that, um, I, I don't think you know a lot of. I don't think a lot of people realize how much data we see, um, you know, how much shooting we do, how much data processing is done, and what it really takes to make CDMs and PDMS possible. Because, um, you know, this is something that the, you know, the vast majority of solvers and um, the way ballistics has been, has has historically been done is just simply not possible because, um, again, what a lot of people don't realize is the amount of infrastructure we have in place, you know, the amount of uh, codes that we have for processing data that we get from the radars and and, um, how that data gets handled and organized and how all of that information gets disseminated through, um, you know, the databases that we have to our, um, apps and whatnot. When, when we look all the way back to, to when the, the, the BC uh, you know, G standards were created, those were created with, you know, hundreds or thousands of rounds of, uh, shooting, taking, you know, careful measurements with, you know, older equipment and, It took, you know, it was a very large, expensive, you know, government level project to just get those standards established that then you could compare other bullets to, to kind of get like a BC and use that way. Fast forward to today, we're doing all of that, um, you know, all of that work and collecting all of that data on each shot with the Doppler radar and um, you know, turning it around and processing it. And we, we have our organization down and our processes down such that you know, the work that it, you know, when, when the G7 or G1 standards were set up, what took you know, just an absolutely insane amount of time and money and effort to generate, we're doing in a matter of minutes um, you know, with, with all this infrastructure that we have set up. And you know, when we have uh, an internet connection, the speed at which, you know, we can actually take data from a string of fire and turn that around into a CDM that's available to the shooter on um, through our database on their device, uh, you know, to, to those of us that, you know, kind of know the historical context of that, it's actually pretty incredible uh, what we're capable of doing. So this this level of resolution and testing is... Um, it's a really a testament to how far long range shooting has come in the last, you know, a hundred years, I guess you could say. Um, but then, but then circling back to that, you know, the value, you know, from Chris's perspective and my perspective, um, trying to describe the value of, you know, of what we're doing to a newer shooter like yourself, Amanda, is, it is an understanding that we see so much data and uh, you know, there's so many people that have had, Really good luck using BCs, um, but you know there's also a lot of people that haven't had as good a luck, or that you know they've they have issues where their their dopes not lining up, and it's you know it's really easy for people to um, you know blame the solver because they think the you know the math's not working out or this that and the other thing. The amount of guns that we've tested and different lots of bullets that we shoot, we see the variation that really exists in you know, in just in manufacturing tolerances, like it's crazy for people to think that, um, you know, bullets are always exactly the same. Like every time, you know, a manufacturer sets up to make that bullet, that it's going to be exactly the same. So in all of this testing and all this shooting that we do, we see those variations and that's where, you know, we, we kind of stress the importance of, um, you know, especially the PDM because, All these other variations that we see, you know, the the variability of from barrel to barrel, like Chris said, if you've got 10 guns, one of them shoots different than the rest of them uh, as far as BC goes. Or you've got, you know, the initial launch conditions like we talked about with the the muzzle brakes or suppressors. All of that stuff, all this data that we've seen, that's where we're coming to this conclusion where it's like the only way to get a, a real solid answer here is to shoot your specific combo Over the PDM because everything else has a level of variation involved. Um, So there's, you know, there's differences that we see. I
0: think it's just so so crazy and impressive to me. Um, All right, Winky, go ahead and circle us full circle.
2: Yeah, let's bring it full circle. Mitch, that was uh, (laughs) really well said. Um, I think that's a very, you know, Remarkable point to note in terms of um, technological advancements and just how far the science of, you know, ballistics and trajectory prediction has come Um, now talking, you know, how quickly a shooter can run his weapon system or her weapon system over a uh, the Doppler radar and generate a PDM. Amanda, we saw this at Precision Rifle Expo uh, 2019. I watched a uh, shooter from Barrett um, fire his MRAD over the Doppler radar. And in 15 minutes, we had generated a personal drag model. Um, I generated his gun profile off of kestrel Link ballistics. Uh, We synced it over to his Kestrel uh, with that PDM. And then he hit like... Um, second round on a 2,400-yard plate straight up. Um, and, you know, what was interesting was that that shooter got up and he was like, you know, I think that's the first time I've ever shot past a mile. So, uh, you know, that, that, that's the proof right there. In 15 minutes, this shooter's gone from, you know, running a uh, custom drag bottle potentially, or I'm not, not entirely sure how he w- had set up his, his uh, gun profile to having a PDM installed on his device you know in this case his kestrel and being able to practically utilize that to achieve um you know second round hits or whatever on a 2400 uh, yard plate that it doesn't get too much better than that
0: no that's I, I love i love that story um it i mean there's no other proof that this is such a, a valuable uh tool for shooters than that
2: so the other thing i wanted to say as well and and mitch spoke about it in um good depth uh to circle back around on the software you know and the solver and uh, the common factor in trajectory prediction is for a lot of shooters to experience some amount of variation in their uh trajectory prediction or their firing solution right it doesn't quite add up with what they're seeing on the ground. Um, It's important to note that a lot of the times, well, the first thing it's important to uh, understand is the math is the math and it's science, you know, it's uh, that solver solving the equations of motion as, as it time steps that bullet all the way downrange to the distant target. Right. And um, to realistically sit there and go, Oh, the solver must be off or the software's not not quite giving me the correct trajectory prediction is uh basically questioning you know the math and questioning the equations of motion behind the scene Uh,
0: right no matter how you yeah no matter how you do it two plus two is always four
2: (laughs) that is exactly what i was about to say next is is like my go-to is like if one plus one doesn't equal two or two plus two isn't four you know questions have to be asked and if you're sitting there and you're generating that trajectory prediction uh you know that firing solution that firing solution is slightly off there's like a few key components within that and usually the secondary Uh, external ballistics or second order effects of external ballistics are usually overlooked as well, right? You know, there's a lot of people out there like, oh, Coriolis, it's not a thing, or it doesn't exist, or it doesn't matter. Well, when you're talking about um, splitting hairs at, you know, transonic or subsonic ranges, Coriolis is absolutely going to be something that you're going to need to take into account. You know, it's a time of flight based and it's an inertial effect. But if you're you know, shooting a 22 at 600 yards, that's absolutely a second order effect you're going to have to take into account. Uh, same as shooting you know, a 375 enabler at two miles, right? Um, now, the thing is, if you're not understanding that, hey, I need to roll my uh, latitude and my direction of fire into my uh, Kestrel or whatever AB device you're running, the Garmin. Um, You know, it's like that's not giving the app or it's not giving the solver, sorry, the necessary inputs to calculate the necessary outputs, Uh, the same as aerodynamic jump. You know, a lot of people don't understand that aerodynamic jump is calculated on wind speed one across A-B devices. And so when uh, shooters do experience that slight variation in uh, trajectory prediction, um my first go-to is like is it a mechanical issue or a mechanical error to do with the weapon system itself you know are the sites mounted correctly um you know have we done a tall target test to verify that the the sites actually track as advertised or is it a uh, a solver input error where we're u- not utilizing the correct drag model for the correct bullet or um, with input something wrong um, in terms of muzzle velocity or something like that. And that's, you know, that's an important thing to note there that the the math, you know, and the solver, it's only as good as the inputs that you provide it. And if the inputs aren't good, the outputs are just going to be, you know, substandard as well.
0: Right. Um, yeah, I, it, it's, so as you as you were just talking, I... I I'm making a note that I, I think maybe we need to have a whole other um, talk about um, aerodynamic dramp, jump and uh, Coriolis so I can learn start learning to understand those two things. <laughs> um,
2: doing it in the background, you know, as I was uh, teaching you how to use the mobile app and then the, the Kestrel, right? You're yes. doing it in the background. Um, you just might not be aware that you're doing it, but I've I've been getting you to uh, calc out second second order effects already. So I you're know, good.
0: You, you, you're such a good teacher. Um, <laughs> um, so let's let's uh, let's talk about the mobile lab um, here really quick before we start wrapping things up. Um, this this mobile lab for anyone who has not seen it. Um, we have some pictures on social media and there's some some information and some pictures on our website um but it's a giant toy hauler that we um have outfitted on the inside with all of our um lab equipment and we are able to drive it around to matches and open it up and set up our um doppler radar and allow shooters to. shoot over the Doppler radar, 10 shots. They then get their their printout with all their information and AB staff is there. They go over all of that information with you. And it's just um, watching all of that happen is, is so amazing to me that you can go from a CDM to a PDM in less than half an hour and have someone from Applied Ballistics explain it all to you. It's super, super impressive to me.
2: I'm actually uh, glad too, Amanda, that you brought that up because it raises a good point there with uh, the feedback that you're able to get from uh, AB staff working out of the mobile lab. Uh, You know, that's not just a uh, personal drag model for the shooter. It also gives the shooter a good solid indication of, um, you know, what might be happening with that weapon system as well. I remember being down at the uh, Kestrel Fall Classic in Florida late last year. And I mean, you were there too, Amanda. We yeah. had that one shooter who uh, shot over Doppler with two weapon systems that um, an evil one he was considering using in the uh, the competition the following day. And, yes, I uh, remember. Yeah, just based on the, uh, the Doppler data that we, um, we were able to capture the, uh, the day leading up to the competition, we were able to indicate to him, hey, um, how many rounds? I remember this was actually uh, Crispy uh, that spoke to this shooter about the barrel wear on his weapon systems, um, that one of the weapon systems, the question was, how many rounds do you have on those, that, that, that individual weapon there? And he was like, oh, maybe about three thousand or thirty-five hundred, I think, roughly. And Chris is like, well, you know, here's the average BC of the bullet that we see, you know, that you're shooting, and you're you're suffering some amount of um, BC decay, you know, or you've got a decreased BC, and that could be a function of barrel wear there. And you know, just with that information, he was able to understand that although he was shooting good groups still with that weapon system but you know the barrel wasn't completely shot out he was suffering some amount of uh, decrease to the effective bc of the bullet and he needed to rebarrel that weapon system subsequently he went and used the other weapon system and i, I if I remember correctly i believe he placed really well at the he was well comp- oh.
0: he was definitely in the top 10 I, I do remember that he was definitely in the top 10.
2: So you know that's that's another good point because I, I mean the printouts that are provided with the PDM, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of data on there as well. you know, and there's there's also um, g seven BCs uh, because you know although we talk about custom drag models and personal drag models and that, it is easy to go back and reference g seven BCs as like a known standard because it does give you that standard. to compare your performance results too, right? So it does still have its place without a doubt, but in terms of uh, trajectory prediction, I think that, you know, we're moving into a new era of, uh, of, of science there, or we already have done so, um, and, you know, are advancing into more innovation, again, with the personal drag models as well. But, um, you know, that, that raw data that's generated and, and printed out the ability for a shooter to stand there and ask questions and, you know, really understand what the data means and have a staff member from the AB laboratory explain what that all means and what the uh, potential ramifications could be. That's, uh, that's powerful.
0: I, I, I agree. Um, So um, we have, we have this schedule posted um, on our website and I've shared it on Facebook a couple of times um, uh, curse you pandemic but um, it's caused some shuffles in that and we're working on making it more firm but M- Mitch and I will mostly be at every one of these and uh, Chris and sometimes Brian sometimes Chris polka um, sometimes doc Beach they'll just be a, a depending on schedules, you know mitch and i'll be there and then it'll be a variation of the rest of you guys um so there's gonna always be this giant wealth of knowledge um hanging out at the lab um if you're interested in any of those matches take a look um i'm working on rescheduling the ga precision match that we were supposed to go to in april um we're going to be in ohio in june and wisconsin in july um it's, it's going to be I'm, – I'm super looking forward to it. And then there's some ELR matches that we're getting to uh, later in the summer. Those, some of those things are getting shuffled around um, courtesy of COVID. But we're, we're working on getting everything fleshed out. And if you are listening and you have any questions, you can always reach out to us. You can always get me at marketing at appliedballisticsllc.com and ask me any questions. Um, I can pass on things to the guys from there. Um, Mitch, are you excited about traveling around this summer with this lab?
1: Oh yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think I think Chris has been looking at my uh, my new truck to drive too. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, like I said, we, we're getting delayed. We're supposed to be we we're supposed to be hitting the hitting the road, hitting some events here coming up pretty soon. But uh, when did you say the first one is? or... We are
0: doing one here de- in June. We're we're definitely going June 19 through 20. We're going to go to Ohio to the Vortex Sandstorm match. It's a PRS um, match, and they do. Uh, it's like a three day thing. They have a vendor day event. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so we'll have a lot of good opportunity to hang out with the shooters and uh, answer questions and shoot shoot the shit and all that fun stuff that we like to do.
1: Yeah, they'll they'll definitely be be good times um I said I guess just some, some closing thoughts from me like Chris was saying and you know kind of doubling back on what I said before we see so much data and we've shot so many different combinations of things that uh you know when when I'm sitting back there watching the the data pop up on the screen from somebody's um, you know from the shot somebody's taking down range uh, you know we, we see some stuff and we'll uh when we know what bullet you're shooting if it's one we are familiar with, we'll see some interesting things sometimes. And, um, you know, like, like Chris said, that's sometimes a conversation we can have cause we can point out some stuff like barrel wear and launch dynamics and stuff like that. It's a, it's a good opportunity for people to possibly learn about their system, especially if they're, they're seeing some weird stuff that they may not understand. So there's a, uh, there's a lot to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously if, if, so, if you're near an event we're coming to, then, uh, check it out bring out your gun and we'll uh we'll see what kind of science we can do
0: <laughs> yeah um that's awesome do you have any closing words chris
1: i
2: do i do man. i'd just like to <laughs> um, say that you know there wasn't that not uh, this whole COVID situation there has been at least one good thing to come out of COVID, and that's uh my discovery of French toast sticks. Okay, it was a French toast stick day today again, and um, we'll it's Thursday. To know that I, I indulged again, so you know.
0: So I I just told your French toast stick story earlier today, and my next door neighbor thought it was hilarious. I said it's <laughs> Thursday, and and I hope he got his French toast sticks. Um,
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and funnily enough, so this whole time we've been talking, I I was trying to think of. Um, uh, something I could compare like my, you know, corn, corn on the cob comment last time. And I couldn't come up with a good, uh, a good, uh, what, what is that? What do you call it? Good analogy. Analogy. I couldn't come up with a good analogy tonight. I'll have to work on that for next time.
2: That's right. I'll, uh, I'll let you off this time, but, um, I've, you know, we've implemented uh, no French toast sticks in the house thing, you know, like, cause that's, that's dangerous stuff where we're staying true to that one French toast stick day each week on Thursday. <laughs> and uh, it's important that we don't, we don't shy away from that rule.
0: <laughs> no overindulging in the French toast sticks. So, exactly. so how about this? So, um, so a, a CDM is like a white can of paint and a PDM is when you get your color put in it. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: I, I don't know about that. I'd have to. I'd have to really philosophically think about that one to <laughs> try to make that connection.
2: Like, uh, that's like uh, go for a walk through the woods and have a good solid hour, you know, deep thought <laughs> on, on that. Yeah, just to get on Amanda's level. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm I'm way up there in the, the philosophy area.
2: <laughs> I mean, if uh, if it makes sense. In your mind, it's not entirely wrong, right?
0: <laughs> well, I do like to say I'm right all the time.
1: There
0: you go. There you go. So, all right, guys. I want to thank you so much for getting back on and talking with me again tonight. I look forward to um, our next chat.
1: Awesome. Look forward to it. All right.
0: Thanks, guys. Have a good rest of your night. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.